0: In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in my quest to hold on to your attention, I've resorted to just placing random props around the church now. <laughs> so that uh, you'll be wondering what is going on, and maybe uh, I'll keep your attention for a little bit. No. Uh, I'll get to that. Uh, uh, but first, I, I thought I would uh, start by asking, how many of you here today, uh, in, your, in your childhood, in your youth, uh, as, a, as a kid, uh, ever thought about, maybe even planned on, or who knows, maybe even followed through on a plan to, to run away from home. Anyone here ever think about it? You don't have to tell me if you actually did it. Um, now, now, sadly, and, and sadly this is the case, but there are some very real reasons why, why some children feel like they need to run away or want to run away. But, but for many of us who thought about it or dreamed of it, uh, it wasn't because our parents were monsters or because we didn't have food on the table, uh, but we thought about running away from home out of, out of a a silly sense of of youthful ignorance, uh, youthful discontent, and youthful pride. Uh, We were youthfully ignorant. We had no idea what it took to keep us alive and all that our parents were doing on a day-to-day basis to care for us. We were youthfully ignorant. We were youthfully discontent. We were ungrateful and unthankful. Uh, for for all that our parents had done for us, for the roof over our head and the food on the table and the clothes that we wore and and the care and the protection and the love that they poured out upon us. Uh, We had this youthful sense of pride. Uh, we, We probably thought that we could actually make it out there on our own. We thought to ourselves, you know what, I can do this. I can live without the care of mom and dad. Maybe we thought we could even do it better than mom and dad could do for us. We were youthfully ignorant and discontent and prideful. Uh, in, our, in our story today, our reading from Genesis chapter 11, uh, commonly known as the, the story of the Tower of Babel, we hear a story of God's people who are acting, I believe, with a, a very similar sense of youthful ignorance and discontent and pride. Uh, our story for today picks up on the heels of our reading for last week, the story of Noah and the flood. If you're here, you, you might remember that. We heard about Noah building that ark, And at the end of that that reading, or the end of that story, once the the rains have stopped and the floods have subsided and and the earth has dried up and Noah and his family are back on dry ground, God, in chapter 9 of Genesis, verse 7, gives Noah and his family an important command. He lays out his plan for them. And and I think he gives this command, he lays out this plan, because he knows what's best for them. And so he tells Noah and his family to, to be fruitful and multiply, he says they are to spread out across the world and to fill the earth. Uh, that is his plan for his creation and his people. That is what is best for them. They are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Uh, that was in Genesis chapter 9, verse 7. But by Genesis chapter 11, where our reading for today begins, God's people have decided that they have a better idea. Instead of uh, spreading out and filling the earth, they have huddled together. God's people have gathered at a city that would come to be known as Babel. They are totally ignorant as to to what is best for them. They are discontent and ungrateful for the plan that God has laid before them and caring for them and providing for them. And in their pride, they decide they want to make a name for themselves, we hear. Uh, They want to be recognized and noticed and awarded. And in their pride, they have decided that they are going to, that they are able to, Build a tower that reaches so far up into the sky that that it will make its way into heaven. They are striving and reaching and building and climbing their way to God, to all of His good gifts. Uh, It ends up being a tragic story, though. Uh, because as we heard, God looks down and he's not happy because he knows what's best for them. And he knows that what they're doing is not that. Uh, he sees their pride. He sees their foolish plan that they've walked away from his command. And so he does a couple things. He, he confuses their language so, so that they can't work together on building this city and this tower. And, and then he scatters them and spreads them out across the world just like he wanted them to do in the first place. Uh, and then because of all that, the, the building stops and eventually the tower crumbles. I believe that God wanted to teach those people an important lesson. You see, the, the fatal and tragic flaw at Babel was not that they were just building a tower. There's nothing wrong with tall buildings. The, the tragic, fatal flaw was that God's people were grasping after something that was already theirs. They were reaching and striving and building and climbing towards something which, which God had already poured out for them. They had walked away from his plan of provision and had chosen their own path. And God needed them to know, he, he needed them to see that that was no way to live. Uh, it's a lesson that I think many of us need to learn today too. As as I was reading uh, our story for today, preparing for this message, I, I kept on thinking to myself every time I read it, wait a second, I've, I've heard this story somewhere else before. This sounds so familiar. Where have I heard this story? Not just in Genesis 11. I, I know I had read that before, but, but where else have I heard this, this story? And, and then it kind of occurred to me, oh yeah, I've lived this story before. Uh, I, too, have spent a whole lot of time grasping for things that God has already poured out upon me. I have been reaching and striving and building and climbing my way to gifts that God is, has already poured out upon me. Uh, I think a lot of us spend a whole lot of time reaching and striving and building and climbing our way to heaven, towards God and all of his good gifts. We are reaching and striving and building and climbing our, our way to things like acceptance. We want to be accepted Towards love, we we have this longing to be loved. We are looking for security. We want to feel secure in our lives. We want to have joy that doesn't come and go, but that lasts. We are reaching and striving and building and climbing and grasping after forgiveness. We we've recognized our sins and moments of honesty, and we long to be cleansed. And so we spend a lifetime grasping after things that God has already poured out. For some of us, our climb begins with a career. Maybe we're climbing the corporate ladder and. And, and we think that, that if we can just reach after and strive after the next paycheck or the next promotion, that, that then we'll have a sense of security, that if, if we can just get a big enough bank account, we will feel secure in our lives and life will be good. Uh, for others of us, our reaching and striving and building and climbing involves popularity. We, we long deep down inside to be accepted. And, and we think that if, if we can just get people to like us, if we just wear the right clothes and, and cut our hairs the right way and... And, and go on the right vacations, and then take all the right pictures, that people will like us, and we will be accepted and loved. Uh, for others of us, our climb upwards involves a whole lot of other things. Maybe, uh, maybe it involves possessions. We are grabbing onto things uh, in this world that, that we hope will bring us joy. Uh, for others of us, uh, our climb upwards involves a whole lot of box checking. We think if we're just good boys and good girls, if we do the right things, then, then we must be on some upward trajectory towards heaven, that, that the good must uh, outweigh the bad, and God must be happy with us and forgive us. We spend a lot of time reaching and striving and, and building and climbing towards, towards gifts, things that our souls long for, acceptance, security, love, forgiveness, joy. But the truth is, if you've ever been on this climb upwards, you, you know that you don't actually end up where you long to be. If you try to climb your way to heaven, you'll never end up any closer to it than when you first started. If you try to build your way to God like the people did at Babel, you'll you'll never get there. And eventually that life will all come crumbling down. All you'll end up with is exhaustion. And you'll be tired and worn out and weary, but not any closer to those gifts that you long to hold into your hand. They will never be there. They'll always slip to, through your fingers. You see, God has not called us to a life of reaching and striving and building and climbing. He knows that if, if that were the case, we would never get to where we want to be. And so instead, God in his mercy has, has come to us. He descends downwards to us. God in Jesus comes among his people. He, he doesn't sit around twiddling his fingers and, until we figure things out or until we check all the boxes, he comes to us. He makes the first move. He he takes the first step. And he comes to us, he descends to us, with, with many of those gifts that our souls long for and all of those gifts that we need. Our God comes to us with joy, true joy that can't be found in any possession. He comes to us with a sense of security that no bank account can afford us. eternal security of Jesus Christ. He, He comes to us with acceptance. He accepts us by faith, and he welcomes us into his family as his children. He forgives us, not because we've checked all the right boxes, but because of what he did. God doesn't expect you to reach and strive and build and climb your way to him. Instead, he climbed up on a cross, and he reached out his arms so that you might simply receive every good thing that you need. See, that's always how God works. He makes the first move. He takes the first step. He comes to you, not waiting for you to go to him. That's always how it works, but I think one of the the, the clearest places that we see that, one of the best examples of that, uh, is what God does in baptism, what God did for Christopher James today. God came to him. God didn't wait for Christopher uh, to become the right age or to be able to articulate his faith with eloquent words. God didn't sit around and wait for Christopher to check all of the right boxes and do all the right things and, and say all the right words. No, he simply showed up in his life today. He made that first move. He took that first step. He, he descended down upon Christopher, filling him with, with all of the gifts that he need, with grace and forgiveness, with the power of his Holy Spirit, accepting him and welcoming him into his family so that Christopher might live a life of joy in Jesus Christ. That's what God does in baptism, but that's how he works throughout our lives. And, and I believe that that changes things for us. It has to, doesn't it? And not just spiritually speaking. Of course that is the case. We are spiritually made right with God. We receive spiritual gifts that we can't find anywhere else, that we can't grasp after on our own. But, but even more than that, I believe that changes our day-to-day lives in very real and practical ways. Because now, no longer are we seeking, like the people of Babel, to make a name for ourselves, to be recognized and noticed and be patted on the back. Instead, we live a life of trusting in the name of the Lord so that we can go out in that freedom to recognize and notice other people, the poor, the weak, the the lonely, the hurting, and and to see their needs. No longer are we looking to, to build ourselves up. Instead, we look to build others up. Instead of living lives of pride-filled self-centeredness, we live lives of humility, lives of sacrifice and service. Having been freed from a lifetime of trying to climb some ladder to reach and strive our way towards God and to all of those gifts of His that we are looking for, we are free now to live and serve and sacrifice for the good of those around us. And so today, I I would like to leave all of us with a challenge and I don't usually do this, uh, but it seemed fitting today. And, and my hope is that this is a, a grace-filled, gospel-motivated challenge. But, but as we trust in God's plan for our life, as we, li- as we live lives of faith, thanking God that he comes to us and doesn't wait for us to go to him, I would like for us to think about this week. What is one thing that we can let go of? What is one thing in our lives that we have been holding on to as we make that upward climb that that we can now just walk away from? Uh, For some of us, maybe it is something as simple, well, maybe not simple, but something like money. As we've been holding on to it, grasping after it, thinking that it will bring us security in this life, instead, as we trust in the security that Jesus has won for us, maybe we will think about letting go a little bit more of that money so that someone else in need can be blessed. But maybe it's not money. Maybe for, one, for us, it's uh, one particular possession, something we've been holding on to that we thought would bring us joy. But now that we know that God has descended to us, come upon us to bring us uh, everlasting joy, maybe we'll let go of a few things that could be used for someone in need. For others of us, maybe it's some sort of particular ambition. We've been longing to be noticed and awarded and recognized, but, but now as we trust that God has come to us and he accepts us as we are by faith, maybe we will let go of that ambition and our time will be freed to instead recognize and notice others. But what is one thing this week, that we can let go of and walk away from as we trust in our God who who doesn't wait for us to come to him, who doesn't expect us to have it all together or check all the right boxes before he'll love us, but who comes to us in Jesus to pour out upon us every good thing that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.